You're listening to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Podcast, a weekly show of our Sunday sermons that give you a way to connect with God, grow in faith, and find wholeness. Thanks for joining us. Here's the message. Recently, I was watching the show on the Discovery Channel. Perhaps you've seen it, Naked and Afraid. It's the show that puts two complete strangers in the most extreme environments on earth without food, water, or even clothes as they attempt to survive together. The premise of the show seems to rely on the fear of having absolutely nothing to hide behind and that being naked is shameful. We would be afraid for others to see what's really going on beneath the surface of all these layers that we wear. One woman who starred on the show, one episode of the show, Blair Blair Braverman, writing for Outside Magazine, wrote that I was worried that people who watched the show would think I was lazy. I was worried that if, if enough people believed it, then maybe it was true. Blair Braverman, you find her episode, I think it was somewhere in an African wilderness, and she had been bitten by a poisonous or a spider later, it turned out. So her strength was very much down, but she was really very, it was very important for her to keep up and maintain an image of toughness, of strength, of bravery. And she was worried about what others would think of her if they were able to see her suffering, not able to keep up appearances' sake. She was worried her other fellow contestants would see her as nothing but helpless. Blair's article about nakedness, failure, and shame remind me of some other famous naked people. Adam and Eve. Now, perhaps you remember the story of Adam and Eve. In the book of Genesis, God is said to create all of creation. And on the sixth day, if I'm remembering correctly, God creates Adam. Later on, God creates Eve to be a partner for Adam. And he puts them in what's called the Garden of Eden and gives them strict instructions, or at least to Adam. says, you can eat of any fruit except this one fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or something like that. And as the story goes, Satan, the devil, in the form of a serpent, comes up and says to Eve, hey, you should try this fruit. Then Eve suggests to Adam, hey, Adam, you should try this fruit with me. And then, whoop, the gig is up. Adam knows they're in trouble. They, they hide in the garden. And uh, let's, let's pick up the story. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, just so we can read from there and find the story. So this is after they've eaten the fruit. It says, During the day's cool evening breeze, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord God in the middle of the garden's trees. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? The man replied, I heard your sound in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. 
You know, we might say that Adam and Eve were the first real contestants on the show, naked and afraid. It's such an interesting story. That story has been so archetypal for so many stories in our human history. And from that story comes the very concept of original sin. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, the idea of original sin is basically the idea that human beings are flawed, are broken irreparably because of Adam's first sin. It's passed on through our bloodlines, through our DNA, whatever, since that first time. And because that, again, we are irreparably broken, irreparably wrong. Now, what's interesting enough is, despite as how familiar or foundational this idea of original sin is to Western Christianity, to what we know as Christianity today, this is actually a concept that is not universal to Christianity as a whole. The Greek Orthodox Church, which exists in the eastern part of the world, Russia, Greece, kind of those Eastern European nations and Asian nations, have no concept of the idea of original sin. Now, perhaps you've never heard of the, the Greek Orthodox Church, and that's okay. I'll try not to go too in and give you too big of a history lesson. But the gist is that around a thousand years ago, there was something called the Great Schism. And there was the Western Church, which we know of as like the Catholic Church in Rome. And then there was the Eastern Church, and they had a big misunderstanding, a big well, there's a few misunderstandings, but try to get my point here. And they split. And in those thousand years, thousand years since, we in what's called the Western Church developed some understandings of theology and doctrine and sin. And in the Eastern Church developed that kind of their own understandings. And interestingly enough, they don't have any idea any concept of what's called original sin, meaning they don't believe that humans are irreparably broken and damaged automatically from birth. Now, what's interesting is they do have this concept called ancestral sin, which what they mean is that they define it as everyone bears the burden, bears the consequences of Adam's sin, but not the responsibility and not the shame. Now, now, maybe you're asking, like, okay, Lauren, what does that have to do with anything, right? Well, over the last few weeks in America, there has been much discussion about racism and injustice in our nation, and many white people have been loath to talk about it. I think for many people, like, for many white people, I'll identify, for many white people like myself, when we hear talk about racism and injustice, we hear it through the lens of original sin. And what many people hear, at least me and myself here, and I, I imagine that's what other people hear, is the idea of shame. That I, as a white person, am incurably racist just by the very nature of my being. I am inescapably racist. Now, for me at least, growing up in a religious context that was really emphasized the sin nature of humanity, this idea that we are incurably broken and sinful and bad people, I can understand 
why white people resist further conversation. For me, at least, in this context of Christianity, in regard to this understanding of sin, like, for me at least, people are tempted, and I'm tempted, to either just outright reject the idea that anything's wrong with me, or to just simply devolve into this self-centered loathing and hatred of myself, which was my kind of always um, response growing up. But the thing is, I don't think that's really helpful for bringing about real and lasting change and growth when I'm just constantly loathing and hating, hating myself. And here I find Brene Brown's teachings on shame and guilt to be helpful. Now, in one of her TED Talks, she says that when white people hear conversations about racism, what they hear, what we hear, what I hear, is often shame. We hear, I'm white, therefore I am forever stained by racism. Now, when Brene Brown talks about shame, she defines shame as something that's deep within ourselves, that's deeply personal. I am bad. I am a mistake. And because I am bad, because I am a mistake, I need to keep that silent. I need to keep that hidden because I don't want me to be judged for who I am. So I've got to keep up appearance sake. Now, she contrasts this idea to guilt, which she says is about behavior. I did something bad. I made a mistake. But the thing she points out here is that guilt is highly adaptable to growth. We can learn from our mistakes and grow from them. Let me bring this back to the idea of ancestral sin in the Eastern, Eastern Orthodox Church. White people experience much privilege as a result of the sins of those who have gone before us. But their sin is not our sin. We have a choice as to how we will respond to injustice and wrongdoing in our own time and place. And yes, we should feel guilty over racial injustice and unfair advantages that we as white people have received in life. Like, we should feel guilty about that. And I know it's easy to say, like, hey, I didn't do those things. And you're probably very right. You didn't do those things. But this is a, this is a helpful metaphor that I learned growing up. The ideas of sins of commission, sins you do, Versus sins of omission, sins you should have done, for instance, or, or I said that wrong, things you should have done but didn't would be a sin of omission. You know, you probably heard through this time different aspects of, of ways that injustice and racial, systematic racism has been prevalent in our society. I think of the idea of housing as being one example through redlining and unfair lending practices that white people have disproportionately been advantaged and conversely people of color have been hurt. And I, I can understand in a, in a small sense how much that hurts families. I'm 37 years old. I'm 
I'm younger right now than my father was when my family first bought a house. I've been fortunate to own property since almost 15 years now, believe it or not. And I've seen, trust me, home ownership is not always a piece of cake. Far from it. But I've seen the advantages that come with owning property, the financial advantages. And denying these advantages to people have real and lasting consequences in, in generational wealth. And so we might say, hey, you know, I just, I just bought a house. I, I'm not doing anything actively to hurt people of color, African Americans. But are we doing enough on our own to try to promote fair and equity in lending practices? Again, sins of commission versus sins of omission. We should not feel shame, I don't believe. We should feel shame because of racism and injustice. It need not define us as white people because I believe we can do something about it. Taking action is what we should be doing. We should do something about the systemic racism and injustice in our society. I don't believe that you are responsible for the sins of those who have gone before you. But I believe you must and we must and I must be aware of how you still and I still and we still benefit from those sins. And you must and I must and we must be aware of how their sins continue and sometimes our sins, even if unintentionally, continue to hurt people. This is a silly example, but I think it's relevant. Accidentally stepping on someone's toe does not make you a bad person. But if someone says, hey, you stepped on my toe even if accidentally, and we say, no, I didn't step on your toe, or I'm not a bad person. Of course you're not a bad person because you stepped on someone's toe accidentally. But we should try to... To, to not step on toes in the future, right? We should try harder to not accidentally step on toes going forward. And if we deny the fact that we ever stepped on a toe, if we deny the fact that we accidentally hurt someone, that's, that's, that's wrong. That's really, really wrong. That's problematic. And I believe we should feel some guilt and remorse about pain caused to others, even if unintentional, and we should take action to avoid causing pain in the future. I mean, that's just basic 101, right? But we've got to stop thinking about the fact that if, if we accidentally hurt someone, that means we're a bad person. We're thinking about it as white people through the wrong lens. We're not inherently broken or sinful. Yes, we should feel bad. We should feel guilt about accidentally hurting someone. But it doesn't mean we're a, a bad person. It means we made a mistake, and we can fix that mistake. We can correct that mistake. As Nellis has said, white racism is a white people problem. But I'll be... I, am, I believe it does not have to be. 
I believe we can change. We as white people, I as a white person, can change. We need not be, we need not be this way. We need not act this way. We need not continue to behave this way. I've talked about it in prior weeks in past messages, but again, the idea of repentance. In many Christian traditions, the idea of repentance means like it's, it's meant to, to think that you're a terrible, horrible, rotten, scoundrel of a person. And you're repenting of this idea that you're a terrible, rotten, scoundrel of a person. But that's not really what the word repentance means. Repentance means to change, to make a new way, to, to do a new behavior. And that's what we as white Americans, me as a white American, needs to do. To repent of our ways, of our actions, of our behaviors, and to do things differently. To change our ways. And here, this guilt that we're feeling, that I'm feeling, it is helpful. And I need to confess, I need to continue to confess, you need to continue to confess as a white person, we need to continue to confess and to repent of our ways and to change so we can do right to African Americans and people of color in our nation. This is the good news of the gospel, I believe. God's grace comes to us and offers us a way forward, a way to repent, to become a new person, to act with love and justice to all people, to act in accordance with God's ways. So I want to encourage you, if you're watching this morning, to think about, to ponder, to consider the ways that you have acted as a white person. Or ways that you have not acted and could have acted. To confess those sins and to repent of that wrongdoing. Not to think that you are a terrible, horrible person incapable of doing right, but to be aware of that guilt. To be aware of the sins of others that you benefit from and perhaps the, the even if unintentional sins of your own. And to repent of those sins and lead, let that lead you to change. I confess this morning of my sins and pray that God will lead me to change to a more just, loving, and inclusive way of living in my community and in my nation and in my world. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Podcast. 
You can watch our weekly services on Facebook Live every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And to learn more about joining a group or serving with us, visit our website at mgthornton.org.